0: Welcome to the Performance Connection Podcast, the show where we connect you to the highest quality information and leading professionals in the world of human performance. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Performance Connection Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Matt Ibrahim. Matt, how are you doing?
1: My man, Corey, thank you so much for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to diving in.
0: Yes, absolutely. So before we do dive in, why don't you just go ahead and do a run through of your background, what you've done as a professional up to this point, uh, so the uh, listeners who
1: know your qualifications. Is it cool if I just say, Coach? I'm, I'm only kidding. No, hey, I co- am co- the coach. I'm the base. coach. So this, I, I always find this part <clears throat> like obviously it's important to show credentials, qualifications, who you are, where you've been, what you've done. For me, in any hat that I wear, I always view myself in the light of being a coach. And that's something I, I honestly, I think it's an identity thing. I don't want to lose it. So for me, I'm a coach, right? So for me, you know, bachelor's degree, exercise science, master's degree, same thing. I'm in a PhD now at Rocky Mountain University of Health Profession. Say that five times fast. Yes. And technically it's health science, but the track is human and sport performance. I think they just use those words to make it sound cool. And, uh, you know, just so we're in the dissertation process now using Nordic hamstring curl basketball players looking at some metrics related to deceleration, acceleration and perception. So that's going to be hopefully fingers crossed, conducted this summer data collection in the fall, present it next spring. So around about a year from now. And then I can be done with school because I've been in school since 2007. When I say been in school, I mean literally six year bachelor's degree, two years of night school. Like I, I guess you wouldn't call it a master's. It was more like just extracurricular courses to get into PT school, never got in. Uh, one year licensed massage therapy certificates, have that don't use, uh, three years master's. And now I'm going on, this is the third year of the PhD. So I'm like, I love school, love education, but like, I, I think, I, I think I'm good. <laughs>
0: you're, you're you're going the uh, professional student route
1: exactly That's, yeah my wife says so as well so but most importantly been coaching since tw- 2007 up until full-time up until shoot. 2021 january okay and left did my own thing and wanted to become a full-time professor and you know if you follow in my work on social you know i post a lot about that and kind of the journey it's been so jan 2021 20, to september 2022 basically i was a nomad Coaching out of my car, traveling to people's homes, athletes at courts, indoor facilities, hmm. adjunct at two at two schools, in person and online, and uh, full time job finally landed in September, locally here in Boston. And you'd think that I'd, you know, what I'm gonna kind of quiet down my projects. No, you know, quite a few projects on, on the plate. Uh, you know, obviously with Human Connects, with yourself working sure. on. Uh, an upcoming book on the topic of athletic performance in the near future. Um, got my courses out, workshops, stuff like that. But to be honest with you, Corey, at the end of the day, I'm a coach, and that's how I view it.
0: Yes, absolutely. So the term I like to use for people like you is pracademic. Like, I guess people like people like us, where it's yeah. just like, man, we got we we really started into coaching. That's how we got started. Yeah. And then we, we got into academia some ways, you know, either whether that's the master's level, I was a professional student as well for, for a while. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I, Cause I started my doctorate and, you know, I didn't go through with that. Just like kind of you at know, PT school, just didn't like work out. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember my wife was like, wait, so you're not going to be done with school until you're 27. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. That's how it goes. <laughs> but we also like, I think For us, it's always just been like, we've got to marry the two. We've got to, we can't live in these silos of, oh, academics is over here. And then the coaching athletics is over here. We want to marry them. And like, that's really the the mold of people who I want to get on this podcast. So Mm -hmm. I think you're like, you fit that perfectly. Now, who primarily have you coached? Like what type of athlete, what level, any specific sports?
1: Generally speaking, like bird's eye, uh, I guess the giant, giant 10,000 foot bird's eye view, ages seven to 97. And when I, let, let me give context, because I've worked in s facilities, performance training, personal training, you know, fitness, all this stuff. But I also work in the PG clinical side, in clinics as a rehab aide, and, and you know, senior senior citizen assisted living homes. So I, when I say Very seven cool. to, to 97, I, I've literally worked with everyone. From, I guess, from a traditional S and C standpoint, predominantly youth, high school and collegiate athletes, which that's kind of my bread and butter. I think like all of us, you know, you work with, you know, a guy or gal who maybe plays an amateur or pro sport here or there. But to be honest with you, I'm not one of those, Hey, I work with these guys and like, that's not my main job. And I have not done it at a high level or, or I guess high enough volume to say that. So for me, it's really youth, high school and collegiate athletes sports that I favor. My favorite sport, favorite two sports, basketball and soccer, but I'm also a fan of just general court-based sports. So I guess you put tennis in there as well. And I do like sports such as volleyball that have high frequencies of athlete exposures to jumping and landing, which obviously, as you know, that kind of, I guess that birthed my workshop topic of deceleration and landing. So anything that is that forces athletes to be multidirectional in nature, which I guess aside from chess, you really, I mean, even water is in there, technically but there's buoyancy. So. Yeah. Basketball and soccer would be my jam. So
0: what are you teaching right now? Like what classes do you teach?
1: Well, right now, this semester I'm teaching seven. So, <laughs> and, and I know Whoa. that sounds like a lot. So at, at the four-year institution, collegiate, university level is typically four courses. And then you have, you know, working with students, you have office hours, admin type stuff, all the type of pieces. And then there's usually some scholarship involved. I'm at a community college where, you know, I am technically, you're looking at the entire exercise science department right here. And so five courses is the caseload. Those are three credits pieces. And then yep. I took on two independent studies to help a student, to help students graduate. Because, you know, like I'm all for the student, pay it forward. What I'm teaching, general prin- principles of strength training, general principles of aerobic and anaerobic conditioning. You have to remember, this is a community college, so it's two years. And hmm. this particular community college, Quincy College, is the curriculum is entirely designed via ACE and ACSM, Um, which is good and bad, right? We want to make sure we're we're, we're painting some new coats of of paint on there. So um, right now I'm in the program review process, and, and I'm pretty much like, hey, can we get some NSCA in here as well? So that's a process we'll have to go through. So right now it's general exercise science related courses, kinesiology, so
0: on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you've really highlighted why I wanted you for this topic today because you know the more that I've learned gotten to know you the more I learned about you you know I've heard you speak I I follow you on social media it is very clear that you've got a rich and deep experiences coaching and that you can kind of tell when people have coached multiple levels and types of athletes because they tend not to be super dogmatic but yet they're very well rounded in the things that they do they tend to be a little more creative But they also have a better sense for like things that really matter when it comes to performance. And one thing I think you do a really great job of is that creative side or is that the side of, oh, man, like that's a really great idea. I don't know if I'm including that in my programs. And then that's the basis for what we're going to talk about today. So today we're going to talk about things that coaches maybe neglect or maybe they aren't as aware of the importance of including in their training uh and now i want to okay disclaimer here here we go here's the disclaimer of the episode okay this is gonna tend to be general in nature right like these are going to be kind of bigger rock items for all that can apply to a bunch of different athletes matt does not know your specific athlete matt doesn't know what sport you use specifically coach but in his opinion, these are things that you know a lot of coaches should maybe consider adding to the program for a lot of different athletes. Is that a fair assessment, Matt? I think it is. Okay, I think, awesome. You know, it, it. It,
1: for me, I think the way I view training, the way I view ecstasy or athletic performance is like we all know what we're doing a lot of, right? Like, yeah. Stronger, faster, like that has been ingrained into our minds. Since I don't know how long ago it's been, but my biggest thing is when you see someone like Buddy Morris of the Arizona Cardinals, an absolute OG in our field, someone like Lee Tack, OG in our field, when they are open minded and they look for, hmm, I didn't turn over that stone. We should look at that as well. That to me says I should at least be doing that as well too. You know, so that's kind of my perspective.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you know, yeah, that's always a great great thing to have and just like kind of always questioning you know just because it's been done a certain way or just because it's been done a certain way for a long time doesn't mean it's the only way or the way or will always and forever be the best way or, or a great way so so yeah we're going to spend the rest of this time talking about just things that are super important and maybe aren't as implemented as much as he thinks they should be and as this is in no particular order right like this there's, there's just there's no particular order Let's, let's kick it off, which what's, uh, what's the first thing you want to discuss as far as things that coaches might need to implement more in their programming?
1: Yeah. So for me, I think one of the most important things is I like to not fall in love with specific exercises. Rather, what is the desired adaptation? I'm trying to change to chase, whatever. So there's no, I don't have specific exercises and I'm sure I can give you examples, but for me, it's, I firmly believe. That we as FNC coaches in you know, athletic performance and, and gen pop as well, we don't look at these lower leg enough. And that, so yeah. specifically, anatomically, we have triceps surae, obviously gastrocnemius, the big sexy Batman. If I up them do heel raise, it pops. You see it. Cool. Deep 2, closer to Achilles tendon, is, is the soleus, in my opinion, and one of the most important muscles in the human body. Can't really see it as much. Kind of the Robin to the Batman, soleus to gastrocnemius. If you understand what that muscle is from an anatomical standpoint, like the soleus has one of the largest physiological cross-sectional areas, this is done like in research. There's tons of good evidence on this. It was literally designed to absorb and produce force. And you're like, okay, interesting. But then you look at NBA players that right? like lo- these long calves, these long, lean, like Jordan, Durant, and you're saying, okay. Maybe we should be looking at these pieces. Maybe look at all the ach- Achilles tendon-related injuries in the in the evidence, right, Corey? They, they look at it as tendinopathies, right? And so th- that's kind of this term for tendinitis, osis, ethis, whatever. It's like the, t- the Achilles tendon's pissed off, it's <laughs> we, irritated, we need to address this. And, and two of the most leading factors or modifiable risk factors that you can change in training, like strength training, is... Training planar flexion and training, strengthening the planar flexures and look at working on ankle joint mobility and dorsiflexion. It's like, wait a second, Deep. we can train these things. But someone's someone's like, nah, bro, like we're doing single leg training. I'm like, cool, that's integration, that's not isolation. Right? Sure. And then then you see the picture, and I put this in, in my calf presentation, it's like it's that that bro in bodybuilding doing the heel rate, the standing heel raise on the machine with, with the pads on your shoulders. I'm like, that's dumb. And you're doing a seated heel raise where you load the plates that plate in front of you, and it's kind of like that that meme. Yep. You're like, "This is dumb." It's like, wait a second, what are bodybuilders really good at? Building muscle. There's no debate there. Like, there's sure. no debate. You may debate like, "Hey, like the hygiene of your your containers and Tupperware with your food every day." I'm not here to debate that. My my thing is like, you know, bodybuilders are literally good at building hypertrophy, building mass. So for me, it's like, okay, there's a high level of injuries in this area. Athletes use their feet to, let me get, let, let, let me just be clear, jump, land, cut, pivot, locomote. Maybe, just maybe, we should strengthen these pieces. Now, obviously, it goes further than soleus, and Achilles tendon. We're looking at post-tib muscle, post-tib tendon, right? I often forgotten. We're looking at some of the intrinsic, big toe, like hallux extensibility, like big toe push-off or sprinting. is huge. I'm sure Ken probably dive, took a dive into that as well. And are like, wait a second. This is really important. Like, are the calves the biceps of the lower leg? And should we be training them in our programs? And someone says, well, how do you address that? Like, how do you really dive into that? For me, it's isolation, then move into integration. So for me, okay. like, how do you sneak it in, right? So people are like, oh, yeah. like, I already have a program. How do I get it in? All right, Corey, you're running a two-day-a-week program. Generally speaking, two days a week, warm-up exercises, strength exercises, conditioning, and recovery. In total, you're roughly looking at 30 exercises a week. You can't fit one or two in there. That's like less than five percent. I'm not good at math, but like it's not a lot. And some people are like, well, where do they put it? You can put it in your recovery. You can put it in your warm up. Load them, and I don't mean just body weight stuff. That that that's a misconception. Yeah. Start yeah. body weight. Do some isometrics. Do some eccentric. Get some elevation for range of motion. But load the, again. The soleus has a large physiologic cross-sectional area (PCSSA, PCSA), which is similar to the glutes. The glutes as well. Do you put? like five pounds on the bar when you squat and thrust and RDL. No, you load it, right? So when you load, you provide it at 3 below. Let me give an example. Seated heel raises, knees bent, 60 degrees of flexion or more, you're going to get or activate or get more solace. You're getting gastric as well, you're getting more soleus. You're some more because of the anatomical position of it. I'm talking like 40, 50, 60 pound dumbbell or kettlebell, whether you're doing one or two legs and raising up, raise up and down. Flow range of motion, tempo, get the full eccentric, get the isometrics, get the concentric, don't bounce it, don't use the stretch cycle cycles of the Achilles. You want to build the muscle. Mm. Then, in my opinion, which piggybacks to my second topic, I think that we're not appreciating the value of extensive and intensive plyometrics. so, you think of like, what is the easiest form of, of an extensive fly metric? To me, it's pogos. Like, we grew up on the sure. pogo thing, like, we're bumping yep. around with kangaroos. And it's like, pogos have such a great value in the return, return to performance slash reconditioning or rehab model. Someone like Jared Boyd, Dr. Jared Boyd of Memphis Grizzlies, absolute stud physical therapist, understands these basic principles. And you look at the rehab to perform, I think, with Josh Funk and their crew, like their course. They implement times, extensive plyometrics for return to sport with Achilles tendinopathies, calf muscle strain injuries, so on and so forth. I'm like, duh, like that's so brilliant. So for me, it's like, don't worry about the sexy, high performance, like box jump. You'll get her some easy, extensive, fluid, comfortable, extensive plyos or pogos, right? And then you can take that methodology and that thought process. You look at someone like Corey Schlesinger with the Phoenix Sun, that whole like, that bounce, 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 snap, bounce, 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 snack. And you just contract, relax, contract, relax. And an example is you're just doing an extensive pogo and then you drop quickly into a reverse lunge. You drop right back up and I'm like, boom, like that's sports. That's like contract, relax. Like the best athletes in the world. You look at John Morant when he dunks, it's effortless. It's, watch hmm. a video of John Morant. It's, it's, you look at Derek Rose back in the day. It's, it's like, how does he? How do they contract, relax, and then do that? To me, it's amazing. But that starts in my opinion, Well, obviously genetics. But it also <laughs> starts with understanding and appreciating. What were you going to say? I just say
0: choose the right parents.
1: <laughs> choose the right parents, right? <laughs> choose parents. You have to appreciate like that too. And then appreciate extensive, extensive goes Now, you know, throw those in the warm up. I'm talking like 10, 15, 20 seconds. Get some time under tension or just time getting some floating and coordination. Do you look at Franz Bosch? I forget the name of the book, Motor Control and Strength, something like that. Some of his tip lock drills—they're building that coordination, that motor control piece, that that understanding of controlling your body. When you you ask what defines an athlete, to me, it's controlling your body. And so, I think if you can do that, awesome. And then, then you can minimize ground contact time or GCT, and then work on the intensive or explosive, because it's easier for people to say blind metrics Like you're trying to be explosive. The intent is maximum vertical displacement, horizontal displacement, frontal plane displacement, whatever. Think of broad jump. Think of a box jump. Think of a, a skater hop. Then that prepares the tissues and structures for that. Think of sport, right? High velocities, aggressive, violent at times, speed-wise, right? Changes in direction rapidly. Do I want to start there? No. Build up to that. Start in, start extensive. Build up to intensive. But when you build up to intensive, some of, some of those movements should be at game speeds to prepare the athletes for those really rapid D cell, XL, I'm sorry, D cell, reaccel XL reaccelerations and, and so that they're prepared. And I think we don't appreciate the eccentric overload of Achilles tendon. You look at the tendons in the knee, patellar quad tendon for knee flexion, knee over toe, gastrocnemius knee to go over toes, right? We have there to appreciate it. all of these structures in the body, these skeletal structures that hey, like we should be loading them in the way that they're going to be loaded in sport. Crazy thought. Crazy thought.
0: So yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, and I think, (laughs) well, I think what's you know the overarching, if I guess I could kind of put an overarching theme to it is like the the overall importance of the foot ankle complex. Like in traditional, you like you mentioned earlier, strength, power, really, let's build the engine. The foot ankle complex has gotten massively overlooked, Mm -hmm. and um, like I don't know if you've ever. been exposed like cal Dietz's ankle rocker stuff i was talking to cal several years ago at a conference and i just mentioned something about it being so simple that we pay attention to like the the joints that are most close to the ground where forces are being transmitted through and he like almost like he kind of scared me because he's just like yes Yes. oh my god but yeah it's almost like one of those things where like oh my yeah like why how did this happen but I want to go back to something you said with the soleus way at the beginning, because you Mm -hmm. said something very interesting that kind of like, you know, just kind of set off some bells in my head. You mentioned the soleus being set up for force production. Mm -hmm. Now that seems to somewhat be contradictory to what the soleus is typically thought of as postural. So can you,
1: can you dive into that a little bit? Like what, what is, what's going on there? Yeah, I could pull up the study too. and, And I actually found this. Like I said, I, I'm in a PhD as a meathead. I'm not a not to be confused with a PhD like researcher or scholar. So uh, what I like to do is look at what other people smarter than me are looking at. So e three rehab, Mark Certica, Sam Spinelli, and Tony Camilla, They they put a lot of good content. If you're in the rehab world, check them out. They're incredible. And they were citing some of the literature that talks about this. I get the name of the guy. I'll have to grab it. I want to say. uh, gray et al i think it's gray et al 2009 or 11 i might be off a little bit point being what they found was they measured physiologic cross-sectional areas which we know is that tells us how much force a muscle can transmit it's one of the many ways so anatomically structurally has the makeup to produce and transmit force. like that's because they looked at I think it was glute as well in that. So gluteus maximus, I think there were hamstrings in there. Amongst uh, quadriceps were in there as well. And Solus was right near the top. I think it was, it was either first or second. I think glute may have been above it. But point being, it's designed for that. When I presented this at, at, lo, at a local college, a student was like, well, it's a type one, type one muscle fiber, slow twitch. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. I understand that. I'm not sitting here saying it, it's meant to be this explosive beast, it, but it, it's meant to, it can withstand force. It can take on force. You think of people that can like I was watching the other day. I don't know if you remember this, the LeVar Arrington leap as Penn, when he <laughs> literally over the line, right? You think of when Jordan dunks or dunks, in my mind, he's still dunks. You think of when anything, when anyone performs any sort of propulsive activity where they're either displacing horizontally or vertically, the soleus is undoubtedly involved in that axis, especially if the knee flexion angle is greater than 60 degrees, right? So it's, it's involved. And so certainly a good topic to to dive into.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't remember the specific research cited either here with the example I'm about to give, but Brian Mann a while back was, I think he wrote an article in Simply Faster about the importance of training plantar flexion in it with the knee bent. So like you said, the old seated calf raise or... Just even like sitting on a bench with a very heavy dumbbell on your knees, if you don't have one Mm -hmm. and doing it that way for, you know, the importance of doing that for ACL prevention. And so when you transition to talking about extensive intensive plyos, I feel like we transitioned a little bit there from going something that's very muscular focused, Mm gastro soleus, you know, you mentioned don't, don't, don't use the bouncing to rely on the Achilles. But now we have gone the other way with the yeah. the plyos, where that's actually more of the goal is to be a little bit more bouncy, a little quicker yeah. off the ground. And then training, this is a popular word, and you maybe can dive into it. Stiffness, this is gaining a lot of yeah. a lot of you know. Speaking of Ken, Ken Clark, who I had on a previous episode, he's really the first guy I heard to really talk about this, like the importance of the stiffness meaning. When the, when the ball of your foot hits the ground in sprinting, you do not want to see deformation at the ankle because that's a force leak. So one of the ways a lot of people have tried to train stiffness here is through something like extensive plyometrics. And like the Altus guys have really popularized with their rudiment series, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's an interesting concept because we've always gone to the intensive stuff to try to train maybe like the Achilles and the tendons and things like that to, you know, be, be more explosive. And my question about the extensive stuff has always been, is it enough load? Like, is there enough forces, you know, being transmitted by the tissues? Is there enough load there to actually create structural changes? So I guess, can you speak to that at all? Like, what have you seen with regards to that?
1: I'm with you. And you know, I'll get the symptoms after I'm with you. Like, sure. Yeah, extensive is it doing a lot? And I agree with you. For me, it's if you're in the return to play, return to performance, whatever the term is now, because I know people are like, it's all return to play. It's return to like better than before. we get it. Understand the bro. But the rehab, reconditioning, I like how, I like that Jared, Dr. Jared talks about reconditioning. Like we're getting them conditioned again, not cardiovascularly, but the tissues conditioning sure. for repetitive stress. That's the key. Repetitive stress, repetitive loads. Don't worry about attention yet, right? Yep, like, get, get, get the tissues prepared for repetitive continuous stress and load. Can they withstand the rigors of that? Then can they do it at higher intensities, higher levels, shorter duration times? So it's kind of like, the, like that vacuum approach, right? It's really with anything. Hey, GPP, I'm going to start your hypertrophy, higher volume, lower loads, and then I'm going to kind of get you maximal strength that way. So that's how we look at the importance of the intensive. They're a gateway into intensive, but also I think we get people comfortable with coordination Comfortable with lower mm-hmm. level of strength, shortening cycles, and then once you're at, once you're at intensive, yo, know, explode, just explode, just do the thing. With stiffness, it's relative, right? Like when I know when Kressy talks about or have talked about before, like relative anterior stiffness, rib cage repel this kind of bowl on bowl when you're breathing or reaching or doing core center plank is a good example. So, relatives, right? Everything's relative. That, that, that's a scapegoat of words sometimes, unfortunately, right? Stiffness, the way I look at it, I love altisist stuff is you, when you look at someone do pogos right there's a few different ways to do this and i don't know what's wrong or right people will do it where their legs are deliberately they cut i'm sorry their toes they're cut, their foot's flat so they're coming up and down like this yeah some people do it where they deliberately dorsiflex and they oh, oh, oh sure i don't know what's right or wrong i think both are viable options depending on the time and place and like n equals one like context matters but i think you know, it's good to build relative stiffness if the goal, if your sport requires any sort of power and force, which most sports do. So I think teaching the athlete stiffness is a really important quality later down the line because they're going to need that. And think of what stiffness is, is doing. Think of like from a scientific level, like from the tendons, like it's like the elasticity the elasticity of the tendons unit, right? It's doing its job, like the collagen fibers and all that stuff. I'm not super smart in that realm. I know Dr. Keith Barr with with tendons is like an absolute G, like the collagen all and all that stuff, and the matrices cool. Like get him on the podcast; he's a G. But the muscular tendons unit unit is doing its job; it's acting as an elastic spring, and that that is essentially the job of it. So I think stiffness is an an extremely vital component. If Dr. Ken, Ken Clark says it is in sprinting, who I respect, and I met at a previous conference, then we should do it as well.
0: Yeah. So yeah, if you have not checked out Ken's episode, definitely go, go and check that out because he, he also talks about some resisted sprinting with regards to developing stiffness at the ankle that can definitely help acceleration performance. Yeah. So let's go a little farther up the chain. So obviously we've established that the foot ankle complex is incredibly important. You know, I, I know the groin, the adductor area is a really big emphasis for you. So what, what about that area is, is going to be really important for athletic performance?
1: Yeah. And just to preface, the reason why I'm picking the, like I, I'm picking what I'm talking about is because I think it's stuff that we don't look at enough. Sure. I think yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff that these are stones. We're not turning over. I think they're, I think they're the field that people in the field are kind of like, yeah, looks important, but I'm not sure. You know, they're, they're not, they're not like convinced. I'm like, dude, like you should be doing it. So whenever I present and I, and I talk about frontal plane loading or groin tissue loading, it's like, you're in the office, right? Like, I'm going to walk to you, like, hey, Corey, like, here's, here's this envelope, right? I'm not going to, like, do a lateral lunge, like, hey, hey, bro, get my email. It's just an odd thing. Loading that groin, that adductor tissue that, you know, the whole anatomical structure of the medial compartment of the thigh, it's like, no one really does that. But, 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 think in sport, it's sports are multidirectional. Unless you're playing chess, right? Sports are multidirectional. I love chess, great. But they're multidirectional. You're going to be in a position where you have to turn around, shuffle, backpedal, rotate, open up hip, like a la some of the Lee Tap stuff, which he's brilliant. And you have to think about those structures and think about, well, they're sort of connected to the knee joint and the hip joint. They're in that area. Maybe it's important to keep them healthy so that when I do the cool stuff, the big squat and the deadlifts or if I sumo or sumo squats or lunging, they are strong enough for those pieces, right? I always look like, think of the groin rad doctor as like the, what, what's the term? Like the, the bad cousin of the hamstring, like the unlo- <laughs> like the cousin no one likes of the hamstring. the black people. sheep cousin. Yeah. actually, people love the hamstring, bro. It neighbors. <laughs> it neighbors the hammy. You know, you see, like it talks to mm. the hammy. We train hammy, like eccentric Nordics. It's like, so we should be doing the same thing with the, the groin. So for me, I look at the same way as the calf region isolated work and then work your way into integrated work. You give an example. If you go to YouTube and type in Copenhagen Plank, you'll be met with a bajillion Mm. variations. Mm -hmm. I like starting with short levers because to me, no one really loads these tissues and structures. So why am I going to put someone under undue stress to piss off and irritate their tissue if they're not prepared for it, right? Like the load being prepared, the the load and the capacity being uh, met to prevent or reduce the risk of injury, right? So for me, it's I do variations of short lever. What I'm talking about is a knees bent Copenhagen Plank. My YouTube channel has it, and there are many other variations as well. Contact point bench or whatever it is is the medial compartment of the knee joint, right? Yeah. And then compared to what the hip joint is, shorter lever versus you doing the medial malleolus or, or inside of your ankle on a bench, it's like that's a lot of stress in the yeah. medial compartment MCL. It's like I don't know if a we need that or b if if that's like what if someone weighs a lot of, weighs a lot like that's a lot of stress. If they're mindful of mass, so for me. Weighs a lot in the context of, of, to that, to that structure. So for me, it's like, I'm going to go short lever, more time and attention. I want you to squeeze and feel your groin, feel your adductors when you're, when you're training. Isolator work, start with some of those pieces. There's now, a do million- you, do
0: you start with holds first or how do you? Isos, do you- isos, okay. yep, big time, big time. Yep.
1: 15, 20 second holds, three sets. There's stuff you can do in the warm up as well. I know this position like Vernon Griffin is popularized all, all over the web, all over Instagram. It's that both knees are bent 90 degrees crisscross on the ground i've found doing it on the ground with the inside of your knee doesn't feel too good you could do if you want to i'll use a pad Mm. or i'll elevate that knee on a on a like a squat block or a bench Mm. and i'll do elbow down as if i'm in like a side plank so that's probably an easy way to explain it sure some sneaky hip flexion hip flexion isometric as well but i'm gonna hit them with isos 15 20 seconds then you can play around with any sort of eccentric part where you're lowering the, the, the hip, lowering the knee. You know, maybe the leg is long now and you're lowering it, whatever, right? Or drop, eccentric, drop the hip. isometrics, eccentrics. That's a, an isolated way to directly target that issue. Then I'm going to integrate into some frontal plane loading. Lateral squats, lateral lunges, and the millions of other lateral step up, lateral step down. Anything lateral is great. You can play around with some curtsy stuff, but that gets more like lateral hip. I guess I can do a glute area, but... Those, those are the ways I'm loading it. And the problem is people are afraid to load these heavy, right? And this, this kind of segues to my next point of frontal plane loading. So start out with the mythometrics and eccentrics with direct loading of the groin and adductor via Copenhagen planks and a million of other variations. There are other ones too. If you've ever seen, so let's say I'm, I'm sidelined and yep. I take my top leg and bend it, bend my knee, yes. my front foot's down. I, I, I cup it with my other hand. My left leg comes up and I hold for time. It's like, well, that's super easy. Okay, do it for thirty seconds. Just see how you feel.
0: Your 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 groin will be lit up. Yeah, I promise. Because how like, often
1: do you load that?
0: Well, it, especially in something that is kind of like you're at end range and you're going a little farther. You know, so like yeah. that's a super easy. I used to do that when my in the warm up all the time. Like if we were doing a multi directional day mm-hmm. early in the warm up, that that was a key aspect of our warm up for, for a multi directional speed day. For sure, yeah, it's super easy mean, to implement.
1: You look at some, you look at some of the hip and knee rehab and in the, in the rehab world, the old school rehab, like put the ten five pound ankle weight on, ten pound ankle weight, do your four way hip raise, like leg raises, like that's one of them, like flexion, extension, abduction, and adduction. So like it's important. And then those are the two I use. But then we go into let's load frontal plane. Like let let like when I say load, I don't mean hey in your warm up, do a ten pound plate or, or eight pound medicine ball and do a ladder squat with press. Yeah, that's a warm up. That's cool. Like same way you would groove the pattern of the hip hinge or the bilateral squat or the split squat. Like groove the lateral squat pattern, lateral lunge pattern, then load. People are like, well, how do you load? I'm like, I got you. There are many ways to load, right? There's a landmine. I love landmine lateral squat and lateral lunge variations. You can go top like goblet. You can go hovering between your legs. You can go one arm. You can do heavy dumbbell, heavy kettlebell. God forbid you put a barbell on your back, right? I've tried squat rack. Lateral squats, it's it, it's very very tuck, just because of the position and the angle. You have
0: to have some legit mobility and many, yeah, many legit areas mobility. Yeah, yeah. So yeah.
1: barbell and back or SSB, which you know I, I usually opt for the SSB setup in the same squat mm. bar, just because it's more comfortable. Sure, uh, there's there's a ton of other things, and also you can perform some really cool yielding, more so overcoming isometrics in the lateral squat position into bar, into into Smith machine, into SSB, mm. into whatever, and then perform your plyos if you want to, but my my biggest emphasis is heavily load lateral squats and lateral lunges. Why aren't we making this the main lift in some, in some programs, in some seasons? Cressy talked about this on Instagram maybe four or five months ago. Like, Hey, like throughout the season, throughout the year, we're putting the heavy lateral squat, whether it's a barbell, whether it's a landmine, whatever, like heavy, Mm -hmm. Like I'm talking four to six reps aside, lateral squats, let's do it. I saw, I forget his name. He's Boston. He's local. He's on Instagram as Every Goddamn Dre. I don't know who it is, but the dude's really, really strong. Like, like super duper strong. I think he was putting 315 on on the barbell on 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 lateral squat to bench and they come back up. I know that's Jeez. excessive. That's like really strong. Look at look at the picture of him. He's he's yoke. But my point is, why are, why are we loading these patterns? Like, these are really important patterns to load heavily. Yeah, man, it's
0: it's kind of like, you know, people are now finding out you can load a split squat really heavy and you can get really, really dang strong with it. I feel like lateral squat is getting there because yeah. you can load it pretty dang heavy. And if we're talking like improving multidirectional speed, well, those are like the muscles you're going to use. And, and yeah, like <clears throat> we just don't do it that way enough. I want to go back to adductors real quick. So when we're talking about integration, okay, we've done our Copenhagen's, we've done our holds, we've done reps, we've done done slow eccentrics, we've maybe even loaded it a little bit in that side plank position. So when we look at integration, if we're doing something like a lateral squat, to complete that movement, we're still, the the adductor, let's say of like, let's say if I'm squatting to my left, Mm -hmm. you know, my left leg is like the primary quote unquote working leg. To get back to standing, I'm going to use my the out, l- outer hip of my left leg to push, mm-hmm. but my right leg adductor is getting more of a stretch, not necessarily yeah. an act of pulling, but pulling action concentrically. Mm-hmm. So how, how do we then train the adductor a little more dynamically? Like, do you have yeah. anything for yeah, yeah, that in yeah. more of like a dynamic action?
1: So in order to to really put it into effect, right? Like, so yeah. the lateral squat to me is more like loaded mobility, like sure, training, Yeah, absolutely. Religious. Yeah. You know, once you go to lateral lunges, you can play around with sliders and bands. So, for example, really good one I like, and this is tough. This is hard. So, you have to anchor, and I would use a micro band. Like, I'm talking like one-fourth of an inch orange from Rogue will perform better depending on who, you know, who you're cool with. I'm cool with all of them, so, I, you know, I'm, I am want to be We're frank. neutral. We're neutral. We're, we're part of neutral. So you know, like, the orange one, like, the one-fourth inch micro yeah. like band? Okay. Yep. So, now, you can go red if you're a gangster. Like, I'm not here to judge. But blue, I don't know, man. But essentially, anchor, anchor that at ankle level for something sturdy. okay? If you're on a turf, a heavy sled works really well yeah. because you need to have a surface that allows for sliding on the slide board or valve slide, okay? Yeah. So imagine I'm standing here, and I'm standing straight to my right is the band anchored about five, six feet away. You have to find enough tension to step away. And the band is around where my sock, my low ankle sock goes on my right foot. My right foot is on top of a slider and I have a weight somewhere. I might have chains around my neck. I might have one dumbbell and hover. I might have one dumbbell offset, whatever. You have a weight in your hand. Yeah, Barbell, I don't know, it seems a lot of stuff going on. I'm, I'd rather go with a weight where I can drop versus a weight that's on my back. Yep. And sink into the lateral lunge, slide out. So butt goes back. Sit, in t- sit into left hip pocket. Let your right leg extend out and then adduct and pull back in as you stand up tall. That yeah. to me is probably one of the upper echelon ways to do it. You could, so that's more direct, you could play around with, if, if that's too difficult, with lateral deadlifts. You ever done a lateral deadlift? Okay, tell me more. So Probably have. So I would say the one I just said, so the slider band resistant slider lateral lunge with load, that's probably the hardest one. To back off a bit, you can do either a landmine or a heavy kettlebell held with two arms or one hand lateral lunge to dead stop and then come back up or deadlift if you will because what's deadlift right deadlift is dead lifting dead weight off the ground so lateral lunge or lateral squat to dead stop or deadlift lateral deadlift uh, more so the lateral lunge one but start lateral squat because you want to build up dynamically from stability to, to dynamically if you do one of those you're getting a little bit more of groin tissue but not as much hmm. as the slider would stand but that's how i sure. build it up
0: yeah, the, the sliders or the band or anything where you've got to like basically drag mm-hmm. drag something, drag drag your leg back to, to underneath you or back to midline. Mm-hmm. Those are very tough. And you definitely have to start conservative with that. Like oh, yeah. super oh, yeah. humbling. Yeah. Very, very I've, humbling. Yeah. I've
1: even seen I don't know if it was Vernon Griffith or Dr. Jonathan Mike, where you know, you have some weight in your hands, you're doing lateral lunges, but you're traveling a distance now down a turf and your adduct, you're pulling a 10 or 25 pound plate yeah. in, lunge yep. out, and I'm like, okay, like that, those type of things. The problem is gem pops, people see these things, and like, oh, I want to do it. like You don't know, to relax, take deep breaths, start small. Like like when you're baking, you don't put all the water in. No, like you put what it says. It's a measured approach, right? Put a little water. Like I'm a fan of slow cooking training. I want to mm. slow cook you. I don't want to fry you.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Especially just like, You mentioned earlier, it's yeah, we're talking about neglected stuff here, and kind of to your point, way at the beginning of this, I feel like the adductors have just they just have been kind of they're they're the what'd you say or the the cousin like what what the glute the the glutes get all the love really yeah we've been so glute focused which you know glute meat all that kind of stuff which we know is for good reason but it's like it's like nutrition you have to have a well rounded diet and like if you're not eating a vitamin or you're not any anything you're going to develop a deficiency some at some point mm-hmm. so you've got to at least consume that in yes. some form whether that's through, through food or supplement it's the same way here it's like we can't totally neglect a major muscle group and yes are they going to be involved in our big multi-joint movements absolutely but there may be cases where we want to to isolate a little bit more mm-hmm. so let's yeah let's go back to then just the general loading of the frontal plane, man, I, sometimes like I found myself later in when I, so I was like a, a collegiate strength coach for six years. And I actually told us to my college strength coach the other day, cause we had a, we had a call and I'm like, you, you'd be so embarrassed of me coach, because I went away from this thing for a long time that you taught me. And then I went back to it and I thought, why did I ever get away from it? A La- barbell lateral squats was one of those things for me. Yeah. Where it's like, why, why have I not been doing this? And why is it not for my field sport athletes, a major, major lift, like a primary lift. Like I would treat a back squat or a bench press or a deadlift because people can go heavy. They can get really, really strong. And one of my favorite ways to prep my, my football players in the summer was to do like a PAP complex with, with, with lateral squats. So we would do like heavy lateral squat into like a band resisted height in or something like that into like a Lee Taft box, box shuffle to, to trade explosiveness from the frontal plate. And yeah, I just think it's a great thing that, that coaches can add into their training a lot more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And 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 it's a piggyback off of that because I'm actually in a training block right now for myself. The first time in my career, I'm writing a program for myself. I'm scared, but I'm, but I'm happy to still see what happens. And on my on uh, my second lower day it's 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 heavy you know five six reps per side barbell back lateral squat which sounds really weird to say you
0: no know, the yeah. barbell back lateral
1: squat it just sounds odd <laughs> with the uh, resistance or whatever a hop hide and hop lateral yes. yep. and I know I know there's like the lateral the lateral squat jump has, has been like demonized. Now I know Mike, I know Boyle has came out recently and said like when it's forced athletes do this, I can see what he's saying with the lateral squat jumps, but I can also see what other people are saying like still a pattern to train and i'm always like i'm like the guy in the window looking in i'm not in the part i'm like hey guys like can we all be friends you know (laughs) so but with with frontal plane and 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 loading those pieces heavy i just think it's so vital like like you're saying it's such an important component that you you look at the health of the groin the knee joint and the hip joint especially right you look at you know people are going to squat. You know they're going to deadlift. You just know they're going to do those two things. We need to do those. That's, that's your, eat your meat. Like, eat your protein. Like, that's, we're going to do this. You're going to sit here and tell me, not Corey, the general you, that doing frontal plane heavy loading is not going to make you better in those things. You look at a squat versus a lateral squat in bottom position. Do a squat, right? Go to the body weight. Do a body weight squat. Go to the bottom position. Stay there for a moment. Take your right legs. Extend it out to the right into a lengthened position that's a lateral squat they're cousins right yeah and you look at deadlifting unless you're powerlifting well i'm sorry let me preface unless you're doing conventional barbell deadlift which okay there's still going to be some carryover but more so if you're doing sumo barbell deadlifting or if you're doing stop bar deadlifting you're telling me the groins aren't involved in any of those pieces come on yeah i'm talking to like the 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 collegiate strength coaches. like this is the way we do it live the code and i'm like live like code oh, to you keep your app the healthy too right. Last time I checked, health comes before performance. Like bigger, faster, stronger is not cool in my opinion. It's like healthier, more durable, perform at higher levels. So for that's sure. That's kind of
0: my take. For sure. Okay. Let's let's do, go ahead and do one more before I wrap it up today. Mm-hmm. So what's what's one more area you feel is neglected.
1: Well I had to pick one more step ups. I feel like we do not load step ups heavy enough in our training programs or even we if we don't feature them. So mm-hmm. there's there's the issue of we don't train step-ups enough. Ups. People think like, oh, this is for, you know, you are build a bigger booty class. And yeah, Heck like no. if you yeah. do it right, you're probably going to build a big, uh, bigger backsides. But let me ask you a question. You ever see a powerful athlete who does not have a big backside? That famous video from the 90s, the the guy in the purple outfit doing all these plyometrics and jumping and up the stairs and like, I don't know what his name was, right? But like, dude had a big backside. Barry Sanders, you look at, I mean, uh, Saquon Barkley, you look at individuals who are powerful, like I'm talking, they can exert force, right? They have pretty strong yeah. physical, functional backsides. So step-ups to me are super important. You get knee flexion loading, hip extension loading, eccentric loading, single leg, like what's not to like? And so for me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a car salesman. What's not to like about this it's car, not, right? What else you like about this? What else do But the you yeah. step up. step-ups. And, I, and again, I look at them like front a lateral squats, load a bit mm. of barbell. You can be reactive. Oh, you can so be So many options. The other thing too is people, when people say step ups, they're not all the same. If I leave no. a foot, if I leave a foot on top of the box the entire time, that's a planted step up. If I don't, I'm doing a repetitive or continuous step up, right? They're different exercise because there's a, it's a lot harder to do the eccentric loading and bring the foot down as well. So for me, like I'm in a block now. You can see where I, why I wrote my, my block because I'm doing the stuff that I like. It's, it's heavy step ups with continuous front foot elevated jumps. I just posted the other day. And it's something where I'm like, this makes sense in sport because I'm kind of in this split staggered stance. Like who, who jumps off with two feet in sport? It doesn't happen yeah. often. Volleyball, sure, but to, to the greater degree, it's usually kind of this like penultimate step or one leg or kind of staggered stance leap type of thing or jump. So for me, step ups loads them heavy.
0: Yeah. And there's very few things that we can do in the weight room that can mimic the shin angles and direction of application of force to that mimics acceleration. Mm-hmm. And with step-ups, you can you can kind of get there because you can, yes, get the knee over the foot, yeah. which you have to do in acceleration. And where, then where do you have to drive? Down and back, which is what we need to do in acceleration. And you can do it. You can do it heavy, and then uh, you know we have this thing called the lateral step up that's in the frontal plane. That kind of ties with what we just talked about, and that's one of the few ones that you are getting a little adductor, more adductor involvement than other frontal plane movements because you've got to pull yourself up onto the box. And I've even like one a friend of mine, Sean Casey, brilliant guy. He he exposed me or introduced me to a rotational step up where instead of just stepping up onto the box like laterally next to you, you actually put your foot up on the box. So it's facing perpendicular and then you rotate as you step up on it. And I'm like, man, that's such a small thing, but it's so applicable to multi-directional sports, especially if you're like a defensive back or something where you've got to constantly flip the hips and stuff like that. So they're so versatile. I think sometimes for coaches, and this is honestly why the the biggest reason I never, or I, I shouldn't say that, I didn't implement them as as much as I should have or would have liked to is just logistics. Yeah. You know, barbell step-ups, amazing movement, just couldn't do it logistically or you don't have the boxes or whatever. But because another, well, I guess before I move on, another great thing about step-ups is it's one of the few things where you can create a really deep knee flexion angle. Yeah. And now you're exposing the joint and the muscles to these deep flexion angles that you just can't with other movements. Yeah. Because you're limited by the ground. You can only yep. go so deep in a split squat unless you elevate, like you said, the front foot or elevate both. Mm-hmm. Step up is a super easy way to get these super deep knee and hip flexion. You know, expose those joints, to those positions under load.
1: Yeah. So you know, I do like that acceleration too. I'm not just a deceleration guy. And so <laughs> I may or may not be preparing for a summer filled with sprints and mm. preparing my knees and ankles for those. There you go. I'm, I'm 34 now, and my, my biggest goal for me is I'm not saying I'm old. I'm just saying my age. My biggest thing for me is I want to still feel athletic, which is obviously one of the main drivers of the book and the topic. Yep. And for me, it's like, I still want to do things that make me feel athletic. Matt Schmarzo, I think is strong by science. I, I think yep. that's what it is. Yep. He talks about, you don't have to be fast to sprint. You have to have the intent to be fast to I'm like, bam, life bulb. Like, what is your intent? If your intent is to be athletic and doing powerful sprinting thing, like powerful, certainly whatever, like then great, go do it. If it's not me versus Michael Jordan, we know he's going to win that every day, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> or me versus, like you know, prime time Blake Griffin, or when he was in his prime. It's like yeah. me versus the former version of myself, athletically. Yeah, auto. I'm I'm with the man. And a little tidbit, you ever try a lateral cross behind step down? Phenomenal, phenomenal, yes. phenomenal. I, like yep. just, oh man, yes,
0: yeah. You can get super creative. And this, yeah, this is all great stuff, Matt. So let's, let's segue, I guess, to, to kind of the, to finish up the episode. Yeah. You're doing a little thing with human kinetics. You're, you're doing a book with us as you've been alluded to several times. Yeah. And, uh, it will be on the topic of unleashing your inner athletes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the big thing. And I think that it'll be cool when it comes out. That's for sure.
0: Oh, definitely. Well, like you just mentioned, you know, like Max obviously has his you know, he's he's doing this similar thing with his his Always team. Always an athlete, I think. Always an athlete. Yep. yep. So I'm 35. So yeah, I got you. I got you by a year. Yeah. And you're right. We're not old. But at the same time, we have to start thinking about these qualities are going to start naturally declining fast. Yep. 35, sure. I think, is like that, that mid-30s. And what's funny about training like an athlete is there's still, I think, to this day, a perception that once you're done being an athlete, the stuff you did to train that way, you like, don't need that anymore. Like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that stuff anymore. But actually if we look at healthy aging. Yes, you should. Mm-hmm. Like you need to, you need to do things that require you to still be explosive and, and still produce force at a high rate of force development. Like, yeah, to the degree, maybe you used to, mm-hmm. maybe not, but man, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. So, yeah, I think like your book is going to be a great way that people, regardless of goal, if they want to still be jacked, that'll be in there. If they still want to be really strong, that'll be in there. But we're going to keep you an athlete, and if you haven't been athletic for a while, well, you're going to unleash it, maybe.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and so to add to that, and and I I did not memorize this; I pulled it up. The you sent me, Dr. Andy Galpin, he put out a tweet recently. Yes. So age-related declines in muscle per year. Uh, muscle mass and size, about half to 1% per year. Strength, about 1% to 3%. Power, 3 to 4% per year. And what he's basically is saying is size matters, but function, especially speed, is the bigger concern for aging or getting older or just whatever, right? Like as yeah. you go through the lifespan. Yeah. I, the article is single muscle fiber contractile function with aging. I think it's either tweeted by or, or written by Dr. Greg Grossicki, so I just want to put that out there. It's just don't lose the qualities. That's, all, that's yeah. what we're getting at. Don't you lose will the quality. lose it yeah. because if you don't Absolutely. train them, you're not going to be adequate or good in that. So continue yeah. to train the qualities of athleticism to stay athletic.
0: Absolutely. So, okay, we got the book coming. What else? What else are you up to, man? Like, what else? What else can if people want to learn more from you, follow you. So speaking of athletic
1: stuff with? and athletics, and, and, and I did this on purpose, but Athletic Performance University is my, or APU is my eight-week online mentorship course. Spring semester, we're in week seven this week. We're talking about power apply metrics. Tomorrow night, we have class, so Zoom class. There's going to be a semester in the summer starting on June 5th. Where to find it? Hit me up on IG. I'll send you the link. It's probably easier that way. The website for Athletic Performance University or athleticperformanceu.com is going to be public go live within a week or two. Like I said, just hit me up on Instagram. It's probably easier to grab it that way. I have a lot of different links and you can hit me up. Essentially, that's eight weeks. We teach you how to coach, how to create, how to communicate better in SNC. It's Targeted specifically to the, the coach who's one to five years in the field and also the junior and senior exercise science student undergrad, that's the target audience. So that's, that's the level at which the information is distributed. However, I, I, have, I have a PT in there. I have an AT. I have people who are outside of that scope and I have people around the world in there. So I'm super grateful. We cap it at 15 students to ensure high, high quality learning level.
0: Sure. Awesome. Yeah, obviously like all these, all these links are going to be in the show notes if you, if you haven't seen them already. And then you've got a, you got a pretty jam-packed workshop schedule.
1: So the workshop, <laughs> I it turned into a one-hour in-service from Mike Boyle and his staff at NBSC here in Wilbur, Mass., in February 2020, right before we closed up shop for, for you know, pandemic. Yeah. It's then parlayed into a couple of one-hour online, and then as part of the Perform Better Speaking service case. Last year, I demoed it in Italy. I was like, well, I'm not going to go to Italy and do a one-hour. It doesn't make any sense. BitFam Sport and Conditioning, my guy, Tommaso Luca, great staff. In Milan, they hosted me, and I did an eight hour. And I was like, "Well, maybe I can stretch this info into an eight hour full day." Got some NFCA CEOs behind it. We're adding in upper body cell stuff now as well. Medicine ball oh, rotational, nice. multi directional stuff, like you know, connecting the dot from from lower kinetic chain upper, and then how do I you know re- redistribute force? It's over two hundred slides now, over a hundred demo videos, probably about forty research articles, and the goal is to move and to teach and to apply these concepts. So. Yeah, we got May 7th in St. Louis, May 27th in Orlando, June 4th in NYC, June 10th in Chicago, Dr. Wyszynski, and uh, July 15th is in Cali. There's another one coming up in November, but I'm not going to say it now because I'll say it at a later date because I don't want to conflict with an upcoming place we're going. I'll just leave leave it at that. But yeah, we have a pretty fun schedule coming up, Yes, and I am pumped to keep the D cell worked off.
0: Yeah. And yeah, you're, you're, yeah, it's not, you're posting about that pretty regularly. So if, again, if people want to know your schedule, they can find you on social media. And yeah, you're a busy guy. You do a lot. I appreciate your time today. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this to come out.
1: Thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited as well. Appreciate it.
0: Okay. Take care, Matt. Thanks. You too. Thank you for listening to the Performance Connection Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review, share on social media and on Instagram, tag at performance connection Podcast, all one word. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any medical condition. Thanks again, and I hope you'll keep listening or check out other episodes.